Can you all hear me? Oh, there we go. There we go. Hey, man, how awesome was worship? Is that not amazing right there or what? Yeah, let's give a round of applause for that. Such a blessing to have gifted people. Um, if you didn't see our newsletter, I encourage you to go. You can download the app and uh, see it on there. But uh, the search team is continuing their search, uh, and we're excited about the search process and what's coming about. Uh, but we uh, need to find a new interim to kind of fill. And, man, Cole has just impressed a lot of people that we, uh, yeah. So while the search team has continued their search, we, we, we asked Cole, said, man, listen, you've just amazed us with your growth and what's going on. Would you be willing to step up and be the interim in this season to help us navigate in between now until we find next person? And so we officially asked Cole to be our interim, so he's filling in and just to encourage him. Uh, and uh, excited to see how God's going to continue to grow him in that thing. So uh, remind you right now that we're going to have food after. If you don't stay, I'm not sure you're a Baptist. I'm just going to say right now, I don't, you, you need to check yourself, okay? Uh, we're going to have food right after. Excited. We also have a baptismal available. Uh, I don't have anybody planned out, but I believe God can move and will move. So excited about that. So maybe God's turned your heart. You've been kicking the can saying, you know, I know I need to get baptized, but I've never done that. Or maybe the Lord moves you today. I just want you to plant that seed right now in your mind and let you know, like, listen, there's an opportunity at the end of service. We got all the stuff you need, got clothes, towels, everything you need, and got food afterward. Everything you need to, to not make your excuse of why you can't stay and do that today. So with that being said, we're going to conclude our series today talking about being stretched thin. Hopefully it's been edifying to you. I'm looking forward to next week. We're jumping into a Jonah series, uh, talking about running from God knows what, and just an interesting, just an account that maybe you've never looked close at, so we'll be jumping into that. But today, we're going to kick off with this question that may start some uh, good battles at home. I always set up questions that might make you lose some friendships or cause a spousal fight on the way home. But here, here's it is right now. Uh, do me a favor. The people next to you, would you just share what is your biggest pet peeve? Oh, yeah, I heard it over this section somewhere over here. Okay, what is your biggest pet peeve? If you don't know, ask the people you're with, and trust me, they will tell you what your biggest pet peeve is. Take a second, answer that question. You guys online, if you're joining us, would you just type in what's your biggest pet peeve? You guys are kind of concerning me talking this long about the list of pet peeves you have, or maybe you're informing the person next to you what, 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 what theirs is. Uh, I, I have just a small document of pet peeves, I might say I have. Uh, bad drivers drive me crazy. Uh, my wife said, don't confess that because they will question you as a, a Christian leader. Man, I, 
I'm telling you, I talk to drivers next to me all the time, tell them they need an education on driving. Oh, it drives me crazy right now. I mean, I just get so frustrated with people who drive poorly. I don't know if you're one of those people, that people who drive on the wrong side of the lane, you know, the slow lane or whatever. Yeah, I, I, chewing nails. Uh, when my family chews nails, I'm like, are you hungry? Like, what's going on? You know, and it frustrates me to death. Like, why are you chewing your nails? Would you stop? Drives me crazy. That just irks me. Or our dog at our house who likes to army crawl on the ground because her bottom itches. Like, would you stop doing this on my carpet? Like, this is driving to a brand new house. Like, I can get rid of you a lot easier. I can get rid of this house. You know, like, it drives me crazy. Uh, this one you might not know about me. Ian knows for sure because he gives me our time is, is uh, uh, taking showers. Like, I, I, I can't stand to sweat. I can't stand sitting on sweat, and so I will take at minimum two showers a day at Falls Creek at maybe upwards four or five. Like, it drives me crazy to just sit in my own sweat. I don't mind to sweat a little bit, but when I stop and I got to sit and chill, I don't want to sit. It just drives me crazy. Drives me crazy. I may or may not have a change of clothes in my office for just in case. Don't worry about it. It's none of your business, okay? It really doesn't matter. We all have pet peeves that drive us crazy. One of mine on a religious front that drives me crazy sometimes, this is from churches I've been at and and have been a part of in the past and even just seen around, is when churches kind of instill this idea that going through the motions is okay. And we kind of accept that, you know, it's okay if we just kind of go through these religious motions. I'll I'll be honest, it's frustrated me in the past with pastors and stuff who sometimes preach and um, knowing them either who have not put the time and effort in, and it's like, listen, it's frustrating for me when, when it's poor delivery and they don't preach well, they don't try, I haven't put forth the time, and people come and listen, and they don't get anything out of it, and they leave feeling frustrated, like something must be wrong with me because I didn't get anything out of the pastor's sermon, I didn't hear what was being said, and it's like, man, it's, it frustrates me some different things like that. And, and sometimes in churches, we teach and we, the way we practice, tell people, give the idea that it's okay just to go through these religious motions. But the problem is when I read scripture, I see something else. Like, like Jesus in Matthew 11, 28, verse, 30, verse 28 through 30, where this whole sermon series is propped off of, says this, that Jesus come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and, and I will give you rest. Like take my yoke upon you, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. I mean, there's something I feel like missing, like do I, do I really feel like coming to church like sometimes adds more burdens on my life? Being a Christian, do I really, can I honestly say that it gives me rest, it gives me peace, or I'm like, man, it, it's exhausting. It's exhausting to go to church, it's exhausting to be a Christian sometimes. Is that, is something missing? Or John 15, 11, Jesus said this, he said, I've told you these things so that, listen, that joy, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. I mean, honestly, I, I, I don't feel that a lot of times. Like, I, I don't have a, this unsurpassable joy, like, wh- like what's going on? And so I find myself just feeling frustrated and just worn out from sometimes the Christian pace of life. John 14, 6, Jesus would say again, he said, I am the way, the truth, and I love something, and the life. Like, no one comes to the Father except through me. Like, how often do I honestly come back and say, you know what, it, it, this really is the life, being a Christian, being a Christ follower. Like, it really is something that is filling, or is it something different? As we talk about this whole idea, it's like, where's the disconnect? As you see this picture, I don't know if I've got it for him or not, we're talking about being stretched in. Like, honestly, does this, does this describe your spiritual walk with God where it's taxing, you just have trouble keeping up, you feel inadequate, you feel like you're not good enough, you feel like, man, I just, is it worth it sometimes being a Christian? Is it worth it going through these motions? 
Like, like, where's the disconnect from what I read in God's word versus what I feel in my heart and what I experience? There's something going on. So either Jesus is a liar who's telling us false things, or I'm off on something in my practice and understanding of what the gospel is. Like, think about this. Like, what do you do when your religion drains you? Like, like what if our view or our understanding of Christianity were wrong? But the question I'm asking today is our last one to sum it up is this simple question. I was hoping to have as many people here because you need to hear this. It's just spiritually, do I need God? Seriously. Like if I come to God and it wears me out and it frustrates me, exhausts me, then, then what's the benefit in that? Like is there anything in that? And the big idea you're going to see is not really a big idea that we're going to unpack from Scripture. It's really a big question that I'm going to repeatedly ask and hopefully draw through this narrative is this. is just simply plain and simple. Do you need Jesus? Do you need Jesus? So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. Chapter 4, verses 4 through 26. We're going to read a well-known situation in Jesus' ministry, one of his traveling expeditions. And he comes across this woman at a well. And most of you know the story, but as much as we can, try to read it as though it's the first time you're hearing it and unpack it, because there's so much going on that I think Jesus is asking that very question. is like, do you need me? He's not asking, do you need religion? Do you need religiosity? Do you need Christian morals? Do you need Christian things? Do you need Christian people? Like, do, do you need me? And I want you to see what's going on. So John chapter 4, verses 4 through 26. We're going to read it all, and then we're going to unpack it. It says this. It says, he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the te- field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. Now he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans, because that's what she was. And she said to Jesus, like, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Like, why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and the well is very deep. Like, where where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? Like, how can you offer better water than he had and his son and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never thirst again. I won't have to come back here to get water. And Jesus told her, go and get your husband. What a weird turn of events right there, right? Go get your husband. Verse 17, she says, I don't have a husband. The woman replied, she just said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with right now. Sounds like a Mari moment going on. It says, you certainly spoke the truth. Verse 19 says, sir, woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while the Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizma? Where is our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. See, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while the Jews know all about him, but for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
See, the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. And when he comes, trust me, he, he'll probably explain this, everything to us. Then Jesus said to her, I, I am the Messiah. What, what an interesting account situation. And as we read, you can't get too far ahead of the narrative of what you know because there's a lot of peculiar things that pop up. Jesus is traveling, doing his ministry from town to town to town, doing what he does. And he comes to, it says he had to go through uh, Samaria, which is interesting because that's not true. He, he didn't have to go through there. As a matter of fact, there's other venues. I think I have a map up on the screen. Hopefully it works. There it is. Uh, he's going from uh, Judea down in the blue part up to Galilee, which is the orange part. The purple part, Samaria. There are other routes to get there, but for whatever reason, it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Like there's something in him that compels him, says this is the way I need to go, and he chooses to go and faithfully do that. What's interesting is you have to understand the backstory of Samaria and what's going on with the Samaritan people to lay the cultural story that's going on here. You see, Samaritans were people who were conquered by the Assyrians in the fall of the second kingdom in 700 B.C. And so what happens is David dies and his kingdom begins to get split apart and torn apart and all the people begin to fight over whose power. In the middle of this, the Assyrians come and conquer the Samaritan people, the Samarians, and they begin to intermingle and say, let's, let's have our people marry theirs people too. More or less, that's a way you would die out their culture and their beliefs. And so they move in, they begin to marry these Assyrians and the Jewish people and marry, which if you don't know in Jewish culture was a big no-no. You don't do that at all whatsoever. And they begin to intermarry, and in that suddenly you get cultural change. They begin to create their own religions, their own worship. And as time goes on, you get to Jesus' day, you have such animosity between these two different cultures and different backgrounds. Like the Jewish people absolutely hate the Samaritans. They were dogs. Literally, to go through Samaria would make you ceremonially unclean that you could not go to church until you did the proper steps to get back. In. Like that's how dirty and filthy they thought they were. And so you lay that cultural ground, what's going on, and Jesus comes, he goes in, and he comes across this woman who's there. It says in some scripture, it says sixth hour, which we know is about noontime. And she's out there drawing water. We, we know from culture this is not the time you would want to go draw water in the day because it's the heat of the day. It's the most exhausting, hot day. So something's going on. If you didn't read any of the rest of the story, you would say something's peculiar here. Because if she were to go to get water, you'd go first thing in the morning before it's hot or later in the day after the heat has left, but you would not be there at noon. Something is going on here, and we don't know what's going on. And Jesus is sitting there, and he dialogues. He chooses to have this conversation. I understand Jewish people used to avoid people like this, but yet Jesus initiates the conversation, which I think is so interesting about our God and our Savior. And he looks at her and says, would you give me a drink? And the woman looks at her him and says, how can you ask me this? Like, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. Like, what, what's going on? Like, immediately, think about this. She's saying, listen, don't you know who I am and who you are? Like, how come you even talk to me? Like, this woman's been tainted by bad religion into religion. To the point that simply being in his presence brought feelings of disdain, animosity, and feelings of judgment. Have you ever felt that way before around Christian things and Christian people? Where you just feel not good enough, not quality. As a matter of fact, if you were going to reread this and put Christians in the place of Jews and the sinners in the place of Samaritans, what would the story look like? Like, look, it says, woman surprised that a Christian refused to have anything to do with a sinner like her. And she said, you're, you're a Christian and I'm a sinner. Why are you even talking to me? Don't you know who you are and who I am? Like religion can leave us feeling burned or lessened. Have you ever dealt with that? I felt that in my life where sometimes I'm like, man, I'm just not good enough for this. I just can't measure up. I get around certain people and think, man, just how awful and how peculiar I am. 
Even around certain family members I get, because of what I do, I can feel the discomfort just walking around because they know who I am and what I do. And suddenly there's this sense of like, I'm holier than they just, there's something that makes them feel foreign, like I just don't deserve to be with you or you think you're better than me. Have you ever dealt with that? See, Jesus doesn't bring that. He brings something completely different. As a matter of fact, he calls it out in verse 10. He says, if you only knew who I really am and what I was really all about, if you really knew who I was, you, you would not be last having me ask you. Uh, you would be asking me for something different. He, he said, only you knew. And in other words, he's saying this. He said, listen, I'm not here to start a new religion. I'm bringing something completely different to the table. As a matter of fact, I'm bringing something that you can't even process. He says, listen, I, I, if I, I had, I'm bringing living water which is a weird term for us, but in this time, in Hebrew, it's a Hebrew idiom that's something they'd understand. Living water means water that was naturally spring-fled, constantly moving. And, and, and so he's saying, listen, what I bring is like this natural water that is always there that you don't ever have to worry about. It's always present. At this time in culture, your life depended on water sources where you're at. To have a well like this, if it dried up, literally it was life or death whether or not water was in that well. And he's saying what I bring is life, is water that is abundantly. It's constantly there. He says, what I do is I'm bringing life. I'm bringing life to the table that gives and fills. Like, like just real quick, just take a sidestep and a personal, like, does this describe how you feel with Jesus? When you're with Jesus, do you feel sometimes like the well's getting deeper and the well's getting emptier? And man, will I ever get to that point? Or do you feel like, man, there is an eternal substance of life here. And it fills me up. She doesn't understand See, Jesus is ultimately asking his questions. Like, just the question I have to ask you this is, do you need Jesus? Not, not Baptist church, not religious expression, not any of this sort of stuff. Do, do you simply and plainly, do you need Jesus? And she doesn't understand. As a matter of fact, she looks at him and says, like, what, what, who do you think you are? You don't even have a bucket. You don't have a pail. You're trying to get us water. Like, she's thinking the practical. She can't wrap her mind around what he's saying. And as a matter of fact, she's saying, do you think you're better than the people who came before? Like, like, in other words, she's saying, like, what do you have to offer that's so different than what everybody else has said in the world? And in a lot of ways, you get the same thing people ask. It's like, what makes your religion so much better than what everyone else has? I mean, don't they all ultimately say the same thing? Don't all religions ultimately end up and head to the same place? Isn't that the truth? truth? Isn't it just like one big elephant and one person's got the trunk, the other person's got the ear, but ultimately it's all the same thing. God's all the same thing, right? Like what makes you so different? You see, the truth of what I've studied and I've seen is that all other religions are about religious practices that hopefully will bring about salvation. If you do this, maybe by circumstances, if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, you might get salvation. It's all about what you do. And the one telltale that sets Christianity apart is not about that. It's about a relationship that results in salvation. It's nothing about what you have to do. It's everything about what Christ has already done. Now, now your rebuttal and my rebuttal at times is, yeah, but there's still stuff you have to do, right? I mean, isn't that what the Bible's all about? All the laws, all the things you have to live up to, all the descriptions of what you have to do? And I'd say, no, that's not what the Bible is. The Bible is not a description of everything you need to do. A description instead is talking about what a healthy relationship with God looks like. When you have a healthy relationship with God, you will see this fruit come from your life. Let me illustrate it like this. It's like this. Is marriage about doing the right things? If I do this, if I do the dishes, and I tell my wife I love her, and I give her flowers, and all this stuff, I will have a great marriage. No, that's not true. And some of you know that. You can try everything you want. Why? Because marriage is not about what you do. It's about a relationship you have. And when you have a deep, loving, committed relationship and things are flowing well, guess what? This is what you will see spring from it. 
I hate doing dishes, but I love my wife. I know she hates it too, so you know what? I'll do dishes. She hates, she knows I hate seeing her dog rub his bottom on the floor, so you know what? She'll yell at her dog, Lexi, quit rubbing your bottom on the floor. Like she knows because she loves me and because of a deep committed relationship we have. I'm saying this, it, it's, it's not a formula to plug in, but a relationship to pursue. It's completely different. And she doesn't understand it. And Jesus calls her out in verse 13. He's like, listen, what sets me apart is these other things. He's like, these other things that you think will fill, they'll only leave you thirsty again. He said, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. He says, but what I have to give will leave you satisfied. Like my way leaves you never wanting more. You have everything you need. Like real quick, let me just take a sidestep and ask you this real quick. Does this describe how you feel with Jesus? You come in like, man, I, 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 he, he gives me everything I want. My soul is satisfied. My, my, I'm filled. Or do you come to the end of the day and go, man, my bucket's not big. Like, I need more. I'm dying. I'm, I'm, I'm dying of thirst. Would you not give me more? See, the question again is this, simply and simply, do you need Jesus? And she doesn't understand what Jesus is offering in verse 15. So she finally says, wow, that'd be great. Give me this water, and then I'll never be thirsty again. He's like, give it to me if I just had this. And look at what she says. Give me this water, then I'll never thirst again, and I won't have to come here to get water. I won't have to come here to get water. She's so focused on her practical needs that she doesn't realize her spiritual needs. Don't mistake, why was she there at noon? We don't know just yet if you stopped right there. There's something going on. There's something, reason why she's there at that time. And she's like, if I could just, if I could just have this, I, I wouldn't even have to come back here. She's she fo- so focused, she can't realize what's going on. She can't realize the symptom from the problem. There, there's a symptom going on, but she doesn't realize there's a deeper issue going on. It's like the ignorant pastor who went to the doctor's office and said, listen, I'm a religious person. I know a lot about your job. I've looked at WebMD and stuff, but uh, for whatever reason, everywhere I touch on my body, it hurts. I think I have cancer or something. I touch my leg, it hurts. I touch my knee. I touch my head. I touch my tongue. Everywhere it hurts. Like, it just, it just hurts. And so I think you need to give me screening for cancer. And the doctor looks at this ignorant pastor and says, you know, okay, I'm going to order you a cast. He goes, why? He says, because you don't have cancer. You have a broken finger. Everywhere you touch, it hurts because you've misdiagnosed what's going on. Isn't that so true with some of us? We come to God and say, God, if you just give me this, you just give me this, I'd be happy and I'd be satisfied. Everything would be good. And God's like, that's a symptom. But look, there's a deeper problem going on. And that's why the story takes such a weird turn. Because after this, Jesus asks her a question and says, go get your husband. I'm sorry, if you're having a conversation and someone derails on this, that dude's got ADD right there. Like, he can't feel like, what are you talking about? Go get my husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus calls her out and goes, yeah, you're right you don't, because you've had five, and the one you're with now is not even the dude, is he? It's immediately an uncomfortable situation. Jesus addresses the real problem. And she has a deeper sin issue. She has deeper issues in her life that are causing this life going on that she's living right now. Jesus addresses her deepest wounds and insecurities right there in that moment. Imagine that 10% you hide from everyone if they only knew. And suddenly, Jesus calling the carpet right there. Like, 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 don't mistake right now, like, she has restructured her life to avoid this insecurity. Why is she there at noon? Because she's been, have all, she's the town outcast. She can't be around people. If only Jesus gave me his living water, then I wouldn't have to come back here and continue to have these. I could just kind of Continue living my life. And she's like, that's not the real issue. There's something else going on here. Can, can you 
relate to that? Have you ever had a deep sin issue that your whole life has been about avoiding places and people due to this insecurity? You've restructured your life because you know you have this deep down. If only this were fixed, if only this were fixed, in reality, the real issue is not that. There's something much, much deeper that needs to be dealt with. Jesus calls her to task, and what does she do? She does what any of us want to do. She immediately tries to deflect and derail the conversation to something else. You can tell, I don't want to talk about this. So verse 19, she starts arguing religion with him. She says, sir, I see you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while Samaritan claims it's here in the mountains? She just starts trying to argue religion. She's using flawed church and religion as an excuse of why it's not time to discuss and deal with this issue right here. The church is messed up. People are messed up. You guys came in, right? I mean, my goodness, how many different denominations are there? You guys can't even agree what's the right thing. So how, how do we know what's right? How do I know what's right? I love what Warren Wearsby says about this. He says it's much more comfortable to discuss religion than to face one's sins. It's much more comfortable to debate doctrine than to allow God to address our real-life issues. Or, or as another author that I've come to enjoy reading, John Mark Comer, said this, said, God isn't a doctrine. It's not about that. You see, he's offering something different. Let, let me ask you this. Like, when's, what's been your go-to excuse as to why you're not taking the next step towards Christ right now? Like, like why have you said not today? Is it because bad Christians have let you down, well, if that's what it is, then I don't want what they got, because look, look what they got. Have you been burned by the church in your past, and so that's why, you know, I'm not ready to deal with this right now. Is it empty religion? Every time I've tried, I go back, and it's empty, and what they have to offer just doesn't satisfy. And so, you know what, that's just not, I, I don't want your religion. I don't want your religious, religiosity. I don't want your opening the Bible, all this sort of stuff. You, you used to make some sort of reason. And Jesus comes to her in verse 21 through 24, and it's like, it's not about that. He shuts down her argument right then and there. He says, the time is coming when it does not even matter where we'll worship because God doesn't care about that. There's coming a time when you're going to worship God in spirit and truth. What is he saying? There's coming a time when it's not going to be about a place. It's about what's going on inside here. It's not about a right venue. It's not going to be about a right song. It's not going to be right practice. It's all going to be about a right spirit, a right attitude inside of you. And you're completely missing the boat of what's going on. You're missing it. I understand this, like, it's not about a place, it's not about a doctrine, it's not about a certain kind of dogma that you have to live out. Like, Jesus isn't a five-step plan. He's not a, a better doctrine that you need to live out. It's not a whether or not you need to be the elect or not, whether or not you need to be Calvinism, Arminianism, whether you need to be a post-pre-panamillennialism. It doesn't matter about any of that sort of stuff. We can get so lost in this doctrine that we really miss the point of the message about this relationship. Well, like, understand this. Like, you, you can say, well, it's important that I'm diligent with my religion. It's all about being diligent with my religious practices. Listen, the Pharisees were the most diligent people in all Scripture. And in Matthew, Jesus calls them sons of hell. It's like, you guys do everything right and do all the religious practices right, but you guys go, heaven, go above and beyond to make people twice as sons of hell as you are. Sons of hell for people who so focus on religious practices and looking right. It's not about doctrine. We need to get deeper doctrine. If you should listen, that's important to understand. There's going to come a time and point when doctrine won't matter because you're going to experience the fullness of God. It's not about what you know. Can I tell you who knows the most about God? is Satan and all his demons. And James chapter 2, verse 19 says, Satan believes that God is one God and he shudders at it. It's not about your theology. It's about one core tenet of, uh, that demands our faith. 
It's simply this. It's by grace, through faith, in Jesus Christ alone. It's about a relationship. That's what it's about. As a matter of fact, James, Jesus' own brother, would say this at a council meeting. He said that we believe we are all saved in the same way, by undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We get so lost in the wrong things, chasing religious, religious things. I love the Lexham commentary said on Jesus' response here. He said, from an eternal perspective, none of these things that she's stressing about are going to matter. For worshiping the Father is a matter of the heart, not of location. God wants worship in spirit and in truth. Like, have you ever been looking or waiting for the right church? If I could just find the right church, then, then I would start getting active in my relationship with God. If they had a better preacher, better worship, they had better children, youth, they had better connecting group for me, then I would start pursuing God. That, that's what's keeping me from doing. Or are you waiting for the right book, the right self-help book? You're writing for the next Tim Tebow book to come out and tell you how to be a better Christian and do this and that. Is that what you're waiting for? Better practices of religiosity that you can live out. Are you waiting for deeper theology? I just need someone, I need John Piper to write something deeper or N.T. Wright to write some sort of book to take my theology to a whole different level. Listen, it's not about that. It's plain and simple as this. Do you need Jesus? And the whole time this lady keeps trying to make excuse after excuse, point to other things of why I'm not ready. And she's like, it's about me. And sometimes we can get so off track. And I love what she says in verse 25. She says, you know what? I hope someday that comes. I can't wait for the Messiah to come because he'll make it clear to us. He'll make us understand. Like, I I hope someday what you're saying that can happen, that someone can save me. I love Jesus' response in verse 26. He said, I am he. I am the Messiah. In other words, Jesus says this, that day has come. Like, I'm your salvation. The question is, what do you want to do with this? Can, Can I just say real quick, listen. Christianity is not going to save you. Spirituality isn't going to save you. Baptist theology is not going to save you. Right living is not going to save you. Religious practice is not going to save you. Coming to church enough times is not going to save you. Going to connection group, giving all your money away to the poor is not going to save you. Great theology and deeper understanding of God is not going to save you. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ that's going to save you. It's the one and only thing. And maybe the world has frustrated you and you got the pet peeve like I do. Like, I'm sick of going through religious motions. I'm sick of coming to church and feeling less than. That's not what Jesus is about. And the whole time he's unpacking, he said, listen, that, that's not who I am. And so if we can just clear the table and just ask a quick question, like, do, do you need Jesus? You, you know when God slapped me in the face with this about 10 years ago? When I was hiding, I was like this woman, hiding in a sin in my life. Like, man, if anybody knew that 10%, man, they would never look at me the same. I, I don't want anybody to know. And so I try to live all the right things. I try to do all the religious practice. I try to read my Bible enough. I try to play the game. I try to get involved enough. I try to teach other people how to do it. When reality is, listen, the one thing I wasn't hungering, pursuing, is just wanting Jesus. And it took God flattening me on my back of my sin and my shame and what was going on in my life and before God exposed me to this undeserved and amazing grace that the scripture talks about. And when I stripped away and said, you know, it's not about trying to do all the right things, trying to act a certain way, all sorts of stuff. It's simply this, like, God, I need you. Would you save me? I found out I needed Jesus. Can I tell you what, man? I started beginning to walk in freedom like I've never dealt with before in my life. 
This idea of grace, this, this freedom, this rest that he talks about, I began to experience and say, man, I spent so many years of my life trying to live a different way, being exhausted by religiosity, by Christianity. It's not about that. There's freedom in Christ. There's joy in Christ. There, it is the life. And many of us are exhausted. And if we're on ourselves, we see that picture again, we'd see it, we'd go, listen, that's how I feel right now about my walk with God. Because you know what? You, you don't want to walk with God. You want to look like you're walking with God. And so the choice is yours today. Are you going to choose Jesus? Do you need Jesus? Listen, you need margin in your life. It's not going to come these other things. It's coming through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Spending time with him. Finding freedom. And you know what? You know what? If I miss a quiet time, God still loves me. It's cool. I don't think I prayed at all yesterday. I'm going to be honest. You know what? God still loves me. He still talked to me even though I wasn't listening. I messed up yesterday on stuff that I'm not proud of. You know what? God still loves me. Because it's a relationship and it's committed and it's good. And it's for you. And so here's my invitation. is one just for you just to take a second to pray to the Lord. If you're a child of God and you've gotten off track and you got so caught up on religious things, trying to act a certain way, trying to say, I need, I need to do this, this. Anything that you're saying more and finish that sentence is wrong. It's just, Jesus, I just want you. Maybe you're a person that you've never had a relationship with Jesus Christ and you've tried it surrounding yourself with Christian things. Listen, surrounding yourself with Christian dang doesn't make you a Christian. No more than me going to Taco Bell makes me a bean burrito. It does not work that way. It simply does not work that way. It comes from you submitting your life and heart to Jesus Christ. Say, God, I just want you. And the invitation is today. And so today we have a unique opportunity. Maybe you need to come give your life to Christ. And we could baptize you. We can walk you through everything you need to do. Maybe you're a child of God and you need to rededicate your life. Lord, listen, maybe you're like me. That, you spent, that was after 13 years of my life of being a Christian before I realized what was wrong with myself and how I had not been pursuing Jesus. And God has radically changed my life in the last 10 years. Maybe you're like me that you're saying, listen, I know I gave my life to the Lord, but I know in the same sense, I never was wanting a relationship with the Lord. And today you need to choose to rededicate your life to the Lord and say, God, I just want you. The question is, what will you do?